0: chapter 10, beginning in verse 23, and we'll get to it in a moment. Hebrews 10, verse 23 through 25, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Today is part three in a series called Faith on Earth. It comes from the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus makes this statement. When the Son of Man comes, that is when Jesus returns, and we're waiting and looking for that return. When the Son of Man comes, will He find Faith on earth. Everyone say faith on earth. faith on earth. So the Lord was concerned, when I return, will I find faith on earth? Let me say to you that when Jesus comes back, He's not going to be looking to see if the church went out into the world and transformed the world and built a great society or achieved world peace. He's not going to be looking to see if, if the uh, if the church, the people of God took the gospel and went and solved all man's problems and, and improved the environment that people live in and the society that they live in. I mean, those are certainly benefits of the salt of the earth having its effect, the light of the world having its effect upon society. But that was not what Jesus was concerned about. Upon his return, he's going to be looking for something specific, and it's called faith on earth. When he's coming back, he's going to be looking and he's concerned. Will I find active faith? The last week when I preached about hands-on faith, remember the the video we showed the man pulling the the, uh, serpent off of the hawk and delivering that hawk? Hands-on faith. He's coming back to find hands-on faith. Not just people who believe in him, but people that are doing what he did. People that are pulling the hawk out of the clutches of the serpent. Again, referencing last week's message. And last week, you'll remember I shared with you the scripture um, it, from Matthew 16. I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever is bound in heaven, you will bind on the earth. And whatever's been loosed in heaven, I want you to loose upon the earth. So whatever, whatever Jesus achieved when he died for our sins, rose from the dead, defeated the devil, cast the accuser out of heaven, took his place in glory, the binding and the loosing of all that he did He said, I give you authority that as you walk upon the earth, I want you to apply these victories and apply the defeat against the enemy. In other words, I want you to put the enemy under your feet and I want you to release blessing through your words that I put in your mouth and through your hands, hands on faith. So Jesus was concerned, when I return, will I find Christians not just believing, but Christians having that hands-on faith. Well, continuing this morning, let me say to you, uh, faith for telling mountains to move requires the support of a lifestyle that moves in fellowship with God or else it quickly erodes. Let me put it to you in real simple terms. If you're going to speak with the faith of God to a mountain to move, are you the kind of person that God can move? If you don't move when the Holy Spirit wants you to move in your life, how do you expect to have faith to move mountains outside of your life? The faith that can move mountains comes through lives that are lived under the hand of God so that God can move upon them and they're not constantly in rebellion and and paralyzed and unwilling when the spirit of god's moving are you the kind of person that's willing when the spirit of god's moving are you living a life that's obedient to what the lord wants not perfect just simply compliant obedient that you you it's not hard for god to get you to move so faith has to live in a life that is faithful faith must have an environment of faithfulness and that environment has to be your life. So are you and I faithful? Are we pliable? Are we movable? Can God move us? If so, then the faith that moves mountains will work in your life. But the faith that moves mountains isn't going to move and isn't going to work in the life of somebody who God can't ever get them to move. But when they run into a mountain, they want to try to pull out that faith and try to rebuke the mountain and get the mountain to move, and it doesn't work. And they wonder, well, how come it doesn't work for me? And when it doesn't work, that just further confirms their rebellion against God. They just say, well, you know, it just does, this stuff just doesn't work for me. So we understand that if you're going to have faith, you have to be faithful. Because living a faithful life is what allows the faith of God to flow accurately through your life. Let me put it to you like this, and this is our main verse that I had you look up, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Listen carefully. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith, without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. Let us consider how to provoke, how to stir one another to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. I want to key in on that phrase, as you see the day approaching. Remember, this whole series is about the day of the Lord is approaching. And when He comes, He's asking, will I find faith on earth? Am I going to find people that are living in active, hands-on faith? And so here out of Hebrews, he says, beginning in the the verse that I opened up with, hold fast to the profession of your faith without wavering, and consider and think about one another, work together to provoke and to stir one another up to love and to good works. Don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves in fellowship, as some people have created a habit in their life, but exhort one another so much more as you see the day approaching. And so what he's saying is there's something about the last days that are going to bring a deterioration in society that's going to affect the church. And the deterioration in society is going to cause a deterioration in the church. And as the day approaches, what used to be regular habit among Christians is going to become difficult to find. People gathering in fellowship, people charging one another and exhorting one another is going to fall off and you're going to find the environment of faithfulness is going to be hard to hold onto and hard to see. And so he's saying so much so that when I come, will I actually find faith on earth? So let me say it to you like this. Jesus' concern about finding faith on earth upon his return is based on the fear that the lifestyle necessary to support faith is going to break down in the rebellious and distracted society of the last days. And so this end time world is going to have a, a, a mentality, and we see it already working in the world today, that's going to affect the church. And so as the day approaches, the Bible says, one of the great signs of the approaching day of the Lord is going to be the falling away from the faith. Not people not going to church. Not people not professing they believe in Jesus, but a falling away from specifically the faith. You know, you could still go to church, you could still believe in Jesus, and not really walk in faith. Not holding to the faith, the kind of faith Jesus is saying, when I come back, will I find this faith? operating on the earth. And so that's the whole purpose for this message. This whole series is about trying to stir us up that we would recapture that vital, living, active, hands-on faith. And so this morning's portion of this series is all about having the kind of lifestyle that creates an environment that that faith can thrive in and that faith can live in. Some of us are fighting against and in conflict with the faith that we need in our life and that we want to see flow in our life. We want to be able to pray and see answers. We want to rebuke the enemy and see him flee. We want to be able to uh, bring our needs before God and believe God based on His Word and see those provisions. But it does take a lifestyle of faithfulness to God for that kind of faith to flow when we pray and to operate. So Jesus' great concern is that there would be a breakdown in the church because of the breakdown in society. And so the Bible warns in 2 Thessalonians that the day will not come until there's first a falling away, specifically from the faith. Now, my message this morning is one of two parts, and the next part, the, the second part will be next week, called the four footers of the house of faith. Every foundation sits on footers. Any of you that have been involved in construction, you know that before they pour the foundation, they drill down into the earth and they lay what's called footers. And these are kind of like underground pillars, if you will, and the foundation rests and sits on them. So that as the earth shifts and moves, the idea is that the foundation's not going to shift and move and crack. It's a basic kind of a poor man's analogy. But that's kind of the basic purpose of a footer, is to help that foundation to sit, firm, regardless of what kind of shifting takes place. And so the house of faith, think of yourself as a house of faith. I am a house of faith. I want faith to live in me, and I want faith to flow in me. All right? So because of that, Jesus is my foundation. My faith is in Him. But there's four footers that this foundation of the house of faith sits on, and I'm going to share the first two of them this morning. They're all found in that verse that I gave you in Hebrews. The first one is, hold fast the profession of your faith. Hold fast. Everyone say, hold fast, hold fast. the profession of your faith. And let's take a look first at that phrase, hold fast. Hold fast. What, is, what do you think of when you? if I were to say to you, uh, uh, our boat's just capsized. Hold fast to that rope that's, that's alongside that boat. You would hold fast with all of your life if you were sitting out there in the water bobbing up and down. You get that idea of holding fast. Well, the word hold fast, when the writer first wrote this down, literally means to have To hold fast means to have, it also means to keep in memory. That's why I I got on memorizing the promises of God in the Scriptures last week. You need to know the Word if you're going to take authority over the enemy. You just can't come at the devil and say, well, I heard the pastor say this, and so devil, you just obey what I heard in that message. And you've got to use the Word. Jesus had to use the Word. So hold in memory. Hold fast means to hold in memory. It means to possess. So listen. He says the first, the first footer the scripture is talking about is hold fast the profession of your faith. Usually when we see that verse, we think he's talking about repetition, just repeating the word of God. Praise God, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That's so true. I am... Uh, The head and not the tail, according to Deuteronomy 28. I have received the, uh, the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace by which I reign in life through Jesus Christ. Absolutely true. But he's not talking about holding fast to the repeating of that. It's not repetition he's talking about. It's possession. He's saying don't be Christians that just repeat the promises, but Christians that possess the promises. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's more than repetition, it's possession. As the day approaches in the last days, we see that political correctness is sinking people deeper into de- the delusion that their worth is determined entirely by having correct beliefs and convictions. That your worth is all wrapped up in you just believing the right things or having the right positions. But God's evaluation of your life and mine is not based on what you think or what you believe, but on what you actually do. Now, I put a lot of stress in my teaching on believing the right things, believing the Word of God. And the fact is, is that our regeneration from having been sinners, we're regenerated into, the, into the, the, the children of God. We're born again. That's by faith, not by works. And I stress that. We look at that and put a lot of emphasis on that. But this morning I want to bring up the other side of the coin. Is that God's evaluation of people's lives is going to be on what they actually do. Not on their position, but on their possession. You see, the worth of your life is the combined worth of your position, believing that you are the righteousness of God in Christ and your possession. What you actually do with what you believe. What your life actually produces. The Bible talks about bearing fruit. 1 Corinthians talks about our works being judged. We are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. While we as Christians will escape that what's called the great white throne judgment, where all the unsaved people of the nations will be brought before God and judged according to their works, we will not stand in that judgment, but we will stand before that happens, before what's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's the place where Christians stand. In our lives, will be sifted for content. They will be judged. The danger isn't that we're going to be rejected and cast out because we are accepted in the Beloved. We're saved, we're born again. That's not going to be the issue at the judgment seat of Christ. The issue is going to be, how much value did my life gain? That's why heaven, for the first couple days, I guess, there's going to be a lot of weeping up there. Because the Bible says the Lord's going to wipe away all their tears. I tremble inside when I think that I am going to stand before God one day and I, I, it's a captivating thought. What if all that I thought that I was doing that was so significant and important I get there and find out before the Lord that it was wood, hay and stubble and it really didn't, it really didn't matter in the kingdom of God and that I blew all these opportunities to really produce let God produce through me works that had eternal value, that led others to Jesus and helped other people in the kingdom of God. And so I know that God's evaluation of my life is going to be based not just on my position, but it's going to be based on my possession. And so as the day approaches, one of the great concerns Jesus has about whether he's going to find faith on earth has to do with people being victims of political correctness and thinking that as long as they have the right position, that they're fine, that they're all right. Believing the right things and standing for the right things actually make you right, and that isn't true. It's what you actually do. Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit. It was Jesus who said that. Are you listening to me? It wasn't some politician. It was Jesus who said that. In 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and 11, Paul writes... For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be paid back according to what he has done while in the body, whether good or bad. Therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord, we are trying to persuade people. Wow. Is anyone persuaded this morning? Because I know the fear of God, not that I'm terrified of Him. I don't fear God In that I think that He's dangling me over the furnaces of hell and threatening me with eternal damnation. I I know that heaven is my home. Heaven's not just where I'm going, heaven's where I'm coming from. Because the Bible says I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, and every one of you who have received Jesus Christ, you're going home. When, when, you're, when your earthly life is over, you're going home. You're already seated with Christ in heavenly places. You're not trying to get there. You're from there. You're naturalized. You just haven't seen it yet. But your born again spirit is from heaven. Your name is already written in the Lamb's book of life. You're going to just go there and go, so this is what it all looks like. Your, your place is going to be all laid out for you. Praise the Lord. And so I'm not in fear of the Lord that somehow my sonship and heaven being my home and and being one with the Lord is in jeopardy. My fear of the Lord is that He is righteous and He is awesome and there's no, you know, there's no fooling Him. I could fool myself. The Lord still loves me. But what it costs me when I fool myself is the opportunity to gain a greater reward, to bring more glory to Him. And really, one of the things that's the evidence of a transformed Christian is that when they think about their life, what's most important to them is bringing glory to Jesus Christ. That, that change takes place in the mind and in the heart of Christian people. That's one of the ways that you know you're really saved is because that's, that becomes, becomes foremost in your mind. Whereas before, when you thought about your life, there were all these urges. I've got to get this and I want to do this and I want to have this. And when you become a Christian and you live for the glory of Jesus Christ, those desires are still there, but they're not the urges that drive your life. And so if you're sitting there this morning saying, oh my God, I I do want a new car. What is wrong with me? No, no, no. There's nothing wrong with you because you want a new car. The Bible says delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. But But let me say to you that the higher purpose of a Christian is to not live for that new car you want, but to have this deep desire in your heart to want to bring glory to Jesus Christ, which means I want to lead others to Him. I want others to find the love that I found in the Lord. And so I want to live for that. I want to bring glory to Him. I want my life to shine for Him. And so that's the source of conviction for Christians. I haven't brought glory to Jesus. My life is not shining for Him like I want it to. So when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we're not talking about being afraid that the Lord is going to um, say, you know what, I'm just fed up with you. And this, this, you keep sending the same sin over and over again. You've worn me out. That's it. And He just gives you the left foot of fellowship and kicks you down the hill and you roll down into hell. And and that's where you ended up. And after all, you wouldn't stop. God wanted you to stop and you wouldn't stop, so you get what you deserve. No, that's not our Father, because Jesus already went to the cross and died for all of our sins. Yes, that which we have committed, that which we are committing today, and that which we will commit. However, the fact is, real repentance and the fear of the Lord in the life of the Christian really has to do with is Jesus glorified in my life? That's our great concern. It's the judgment seat of Christ. When we stand there, we don't want to be ashamed. We we don't want to be weeping over lost opportunities. We want the opportunities uh, to be, we want to be aware of the opportunities when they're happening. Can you say amen? amen? Hallelujah. So the scripture says that knowing the fear of the Lord, Paul said, I am persuading people. You will give an account for the works that are being done while you're living in the body. So in God's economy, your value is the collective weight of your regeneration, becoming a child of God, and your evaluation, your works. So it's not just all regeneration, it's regeneration and evaluation. So I know that you want to be fruitful as a Christian. I know that inside of you is the desire to be fruitful. Why in the world would we want to live a life it's meaningless. Let me assure you, because once I've rounded the corner into the decade of my 60s, if it ever wasn't abundantly clear to me, it certainly is abundantly clear to me now, that making my life count for eternal purposes that God is going to be impressed with and that God's going to reward That really matters. And, it you know, sometimes when you're younger, you don't really think about that because you think you've got everything out ahead of you. You just think, oh, i got decades. I mean, I can't even begin to think of, you know, my running out of time with my life. But let me tell you, the day will come. Certainly will come uh, when you will think strongly and deeply within yourself. Is my life being invested or am I just spending it? Have you ever gone into the a store, going to the shopping mall, and you only had so much money? It was burning a hole in your pocket. And you went in, and after spending your money and everything, you were so excited. You got your little doodads and your, your stuff, and you drug it out in the car, and you went home, and you spent your money. Your money's all gone. You looked at what you got, and you thought, that was foolish. <laughs> Why did I buy this? I spent too much on it. It's really not worth it, and it's going to be gone. And... Man, I'm, all my money's gone. So there's a difference between spending your life, which you will regret, or investing your life. In investing your life, the money's gone, but you've invested it and there's something that's going forth and something that's, that's standing. And so that investment is the works. We want to hold fast our profession of faith. So what am I saying to you about faith? Don't just be the Christian that professes faith. Be the Christian that possesses what you profess. The profession of your faith, you are to hold fast to that profession, which means not running around and saying, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, but running around and showing that Jesus is Lord through what you do. Can you say amen? In other words, before I move on to my second point this morning, Let me say it like this. If you believe that Jesus is worthy of all the glory, that's the profession of your faith. Oh, Jesus is worthy of all the glory. Hallelujah. Are you a Christian? Oh, yes, Jesus is worthy of all the glory. Well, if you really believe that, then show it by putting His will before yours. In other words, possess what you profess. Don't just profess it. Can you see the difference between someone who says, Jesus is worthy of all the glory, but they never put His will before their own. So they live for their own glory. I, you know, the Lord is trying to get them to do something. I can't do that. Next week I'll do it. Tomorrow I'll do it. Well, I can't do it. And they've always got reasons for why they don't obey God. So is Jesus worth all the glory? If you profess that He's worth all the glory then you should show that He's worthy of that glory through your obedience to His will rather than your own. After all, Jesus fell on His face in the garden before He was arrested and crucified and said, Father, not my will but Yours be done. Never, uh, I would that this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will but Yours be done. Even the Lord said, may the Father's will be done. And if you were Him at that moment, how intensely would you want to get out of what He was facing? Of course, all of us would have, just as He did. So the point is, if you're going to profess Jesus as Lord, then make sure that your life reflects the Lordship of Jesus. And so I am doing what Paul did and I'm trying to persuade you to live up to your profession. Number two, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3, Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider how to provoke or stir one another to love and to good works. So let me take the first half of that. Consider one another how to provoke or how to stir one another. Listen very carefully. This is the second footer of the four footers in the house of faith. If faith is going to be solid, You've got to hold fast to your confession. Number two, you need and I need, we together in our relationship, we need to consider and think about one another how to provoke. Not in, in the negative sense of, of uh, evil provocation, but in stirring and compelling, compelling one another to love and to good works. Well, that's all well and good. But again, as the day approaches, the day of the Lord's return, the great changes in our society or culture are fighting against that practice. Social standards about offending people are making it nearly impossible to hold people accountable for anything, much less to challenge them to do what's right. Today, you can't approach anybody and say, you ought to do this or you ought to be that way. And that is absolutely the way of the world. It's an offense to suggest to anybody that anything they're doing is inappropriate. It's not just in poor taste anymore. Our laws are being changed to prevent people from challenging one another in ways that were common not just a half a century ago. That's what is happening in the world. But What kind of effect is it having on the church? Well, it's having a profound effect because more and more pastors are scared to death to get into the pulpit and admonish and challenge their people to walk in the light, to be faithful to Jesus Christ, or to avoid being rebellious or disobedient. And so as the day approaches, that social standard about offending people has replaced the law of love in the New Testament with the law of don't ever offend anybody. I run into more Christians whenever I, because I'm, I just, I'm thought of as old, well, you know, I'm just old school. I'm like an old dinosaur or something. But when I suggest to somebody and Christians that I might be in fellowship with or discussion with or having conversation that, well, the word of God says you need to do that. And I challenge something that they're saying or, or that they're doing I get this immediate knee-jerk reaction. They're offended and they say, you're judging me. You are judging me. And I thought to my, I, I just thought to myself as I begin to see this uh, increasing over the past few years, I thought, boy, I tell you, the job of, of being a man or a woman of God tasked with the responsibility to shepherd the people of God is going to become tough in these last days because people are being taught that it's inappropriate to challenge people. And it's, it is having a tremendous effect upon the church. But let me put it to you the way Paul put it to Timothy. Now, Timothy was Paul's uh, son in the Lord, and Paul was Timothy's mentor, his father in the Lord. And Timothy had become the first bishop or the senior pastor of the church of Ephesus, a big church in a and an influential church. And so the first and second letters or epistles of Timothy are Paul's letters to Timothy as the pastor of that great church, advising him about how to conduct his responsibilities as the pastor. Listen to what he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. I charge you, Paul said, in the presence of God, and of Jesus Christ right there. It's like, I don't care what people think and neither should you. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. Forget this nonsense about what culture is saying. Or people aren't going to receive that today because they've been taught that it's inappropriate to challenge people. Forget this. We're talking about in the presence of God. If we don't start getting our concept of the church back into the presence of God and out of modern culture, then we're going to have to answer for playing games rather than being the body of Christ. So he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead by His appearing and His kingdom, when He appears, the kingdom of God is going to be in session and we are going to be evaluated. He says, I charge you, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Everyone say, in season and out of season. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Sometimes it's hard to sit down and turn people's minds around that have been corrupted by the world. It's hard work. You have to do more than just tell them. You have to teach them why it's important. You have to teach them how to do it. You have to break it down and explain to people what is significant about obeying God and why it's important. So he says, with patience and teaching, preach the word, reprove, rebuke, exhort, for the time is coming When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, it's easy to look at the world and say, well, that's certainly true in the world. My goodness, people are like just about ready to worship aliens. All you do is you have to look at the TV shows and movies. People are already living out there in the intergalactic surreal world of science fiction. Do you, I wonder how many people actually believe that the zombie apocalypse is in the Bible and it's going to happen. There are people who are actually preparing for the zombie apocalypse and they believe that it's really going to happen. People have turned from fact to myth. But Paul's not writing this to the world. The world is already... Turn to myths. They're already worshiping myths. Paul's writing this to Christians because he wouldn't tell Pastor Timothy to reprove, rebuke, and exhort worldly people. He's talking to him about reproving, exhorting, and teaching save people. Save people. So, save people are not going to put up with sound teaching, they're not going to put up with sound doctrine. And they are going to go out looking for people who are going to scratch the itch in their ears. I want to hear things that, in, that make me feel good about myself. Well, I'm not against that. I want to feel good about myself. I do, and I'm not just saying that. I really do want to. I have felt bad about myself before, and I hate feeling bad about myself. I don't like that feeling. Do you? I don't like that. No, no. I want to feel good about me and God wants me to feel good about me. And so what? You know know what? He sent Paul and Timothy to reprove, exhort and, and teach so that I can hear the truth and take the truth and align my life so that I'm living in the truth and guess what? I'll feel good about myself. Why? Because I'm flowing in the will of God. I am living those four footers of the house of faith. My faith is real. It's solid. It's not just a fantasy. Can you say amen? So the danger in today's church is that we're not pushing people beyond faith for salvation or personal blessing. We only seem to concentrate on people having faith for who they are in Christ and the blessing that God's given them in staying saved in. Like I said, that's about 80% of my message. I spend about 80% of my time emphasizing that, building that foundation about making sure that you know that you're saved and that you're a child of God and the blessings that go along with that. However, let me say to you today that that's not the only reason God saved you. God saved you so that you could work together in something that's called the body of Christ, where all the members share in that common faith and salvation and go out and work together to produce fruit in the kingdom of God. And so today, we are seeing as the day approaches a breakdown in the body of Christ, where it's becoming difficult to get people to have faith beyond their own salvation and their own blessing and challenge them to take up their cross and join others who take up their cross and go out and produce fruit in the kingdom of God together as the body of Christ. In other words, we must hold one another accountable for the common mission that we all share. Can you say amen? And not just for salvation. All of you are saved that you've received Jesus as your Savior. But along with that salvation, you've received a calling I'm not the only one who's called to lead the world to Jesus. You are called as a Christian to lead the world to Jesus. And you and I ought to be challenging one another to fulfill that calling. Are you fulfilling that calling? You should be asking one another. And you should be helping one another. Are you fulfilling the calling? Well, you know, I'm just not happy as a Christian. Well, if you would go out and fulfill the calling, you'd be happy as a Christian. I mean, it It's a self-fulfilling thing. If you go out and do what God says, you'll be happy about yourself. Can you say amen? amen? Glory to God. Hallelujah. So your salvation may be personal, but your obligation to Christ isn't. The Bible says we should consider one another to provoke one another to love and good works, to stir one another up. Like I said today, Um, it's becoming increasingly difficult for people to challenge one another. It's considered an offense. But yet, the Bible teaches that's exactly what church needs to be. We should be a body of people that are loving each other enough and concerned enough about each other that we are admonishing and encouraging and challenging one another to fulfill our common mission. We ought to be like those football players in the locker room that are pounding one another's shoulder pads and buttoning helmets and stirring one another because they've all got to go out there and it's not a matter of, well, I'm ready. I've been doing my practice because no matter how good I am, if you're not playing up to that level, we're not going to win. Can you say amen? amen? Faith without... An environment of faithfulness is like using a bullet without a rifle. You could probably take that bullet and throw it in the fire and it'll make noise, maybe even make a little damage, but it's not going to hit its mark. You've got to put that faith into the rifle designed to project faith, the rifle that creates the disciplined life of faithfulness to God. And we need to encourage one another. Don't just be a sack of bullets. But be that weapon that the Lord can take up and put one right between the devil's eyes. And I'm sorry to have to use the analogy of a weapon. It's all I can think of. But but you get the idea that faith has has got to work hand in hand with faithfulness. And so these first... Two, before we pray, let's just kind of remind ourselves where we're at. These first two footers of the four footers on the house of faith is one, hold fast your profession. And number two, admonish, encourage one another. Consider one another to build one another up in the faith. We all have a mission. and We all need to be um, uh, um, stimulating and provoking one another to fulfill that mission. Can I say to you this? This will be the last comment. Um, Stop scheduling your obedience. (laughs) Be instant in season and out. That's what's wrong with us. And so this is me admonishing you. This is me stirring you up. This is me provoking you. It's great if you schedule your obedience. You got your prayer time in the morning. That's wonderful. Some people don't even do that. We're going to go to the next two next week, and so we'll get on with those. It's great that you at least schedule God in somewhere, pencil Him in. But if you're really going to go on and, and have faith that the Lord will recognize when He comes, what if Jesus comes next month? What if He comes in November? Will He find faith operating in you? Will He find faith operating in us? That is a sobering question. And so if He is going to find faith operating in us, we're going to have to go beyond the schedule that we're currently operating under and we're going to have to go from scheduling our obedience to being instant in season and out. Live the life where you are ready to be used of God 24-7. Can you say amen? amen? I want you to close your Bible. Stand with me. Or shut off your phone, whatever. You're doing there. And let's, if you would, just bow your heads. Let's take a moment and pray and ask for the Holy Spirit just to stir in our hearts. Father God, we welcome the teacher of the church, the Holy Spirit who is here, speaking to our hearts. Lord, we live in a day where it's very easy to become discouraged and condemned. But You are the glory and the lifter of our head. You are our joy. You're the rising sun in our life every day. And Lord, knowing the fear of the Lord, the reverence of our God, knowing that You have anointed us and equipped us to do way beyond what we're doing and way beyond what we've imagined we could do, we think, Father God, today, of how much more you could do in our life. Father, speak to our hearts this morning. Stir, stir your spirit within us. As I close out in prayer, here's the one thought that I want to pray specifically for as a Christian, because we've already prayed there's anyone not saved, give your life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to believe that everybody here is saved this morning that everyone has received Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm going to speak to you as a Christian. And so I speak to you as an active Jesus following Christian. And the one point that I made in my message, I want to close it with prayer on this thought is bringing glory to Jesus the thing that you want to live for above everything. I'm not asking, is it what you're living for? Is it the thing you want to live for? Because I tell you today, that's what will bring you the greatest happiness, the greatest joy. And if you want that as your goal, to bring glory to Jesus Christ, you want that to be the thing that you treasure above everything else, now I want you to just lift your hand Just lift it so the Lord can see that you're lifting up your hand. I see those hands. Now while your hands are up, I pray in the name of Jesus, Spirit of the living God, you are the comforter of the church and you are sent to give power so that we can be witnesses. It is the baptism in the Holy Spirit that empowers us to be witnesses for Jesus. Father God, on everyone that's hand is up right now, I release the power of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' mighty name. You've already sent the Holy Spirit into the world. You have already released your spirit. And so this morning, I speak over every one of these men and women. I speak over every one of these vessels. Be filled from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Spirit of the living God, fill your people today. Send the anointing. Release the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Let power, let joy, let confidence begin to break out, Father God, in their hearts Fill them, Father God. Lift us from our limitations into your limitless spirit, Father. I praise you. I thank you for it, Lord, right now in the mighty name of Jesus. I praise you and thank you, Father, for the fresh anointing and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I speak to these minds to be turned around. I command the desire of your heart to begin to to stir. In the next coming days, this week, something's going to happen in your heart. Your heart is going to begin to become uncomfortable about some of the things that are going on in your life. You're going to find yourself not satisfied with a lot of the things you were doing. Some of the patterns in your life, your, your heart's going to be convicted and that's the Holy Spirit in you is going to be stirring, stirring up those patterns, wanting to break them up. That's the Lord. That's the Holy Ghost bringing a new pattern into your life, stirring in you so that He can bring amendment, bring change, reorder your your life, your time, your interests so that the kingdom of God can become more prominent in your life. Let it happen, child of God. Let it happen. I put you in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Let it happen in the name of Jesus. And everyone said? Now I want you to look up and just lift your hands towards the Lord if you're able. May the Father of glory, the Lord of light and life, make His face to shine upon you. May heaven's favor rise in you right now and fill you with His great love. May the peace that passes all understanding cradle you in His loving arms. And may you go out with joy And be led forth with peace. May He bathe your steps in grace. May He follow you up as your rear guard. And keep you safe. And even as you walk into danger. Though you should traverse the valley of the shadow of death. Surely goodness and mercy shall go with you. And you will be the Lord's anointed this week. You will be His servant. You will be His ambassador, and the power of the Most High will be upon you as you go. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.